Issues Etc. listeners are needed to vote for President of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has the right to vote through a pastoral and a lay voter, two voters per congregation or parish. Voter registration must be completed by Midnight Central on March 19th of 2023. Request to be a voter at your congregation for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. The hymn, Lord, Thee I Love With All My Heart, a hymn that many of us will be singing this coming Sunday in the gospel reading that we'll be hearing comes from John chapter 3, containing that very famous John 3.16. There's some misunderstanding about that little verse, and the context, of course, is Jesus speaking of baptism and the kingdom of God with Nicodemus. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. live on this Monday afternoon, February the 27th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. The second Sunday in Lent, Pastor Sean Denzer will join us. We'll also be talking with Pastor Peter Burfind, author of the book Gnostic America, about the God of the spiritual nuns, those religiously unaffiliated, the fastest growing religious category in the United States. Then Dr. Adam Kuntz joins us, author of a column for the Lutheran Witness titled A Sacrifice for Our Children. We'll talk about parental sacrifice and Christian education. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. It's great to be back, Todd. The Gospel reading that for this coming Sunday that we're going to be discussing in due course here is from John chapter 3, Jesus with Nicodemus by night. How does that Gospel reading fit into the second Sunday in Lent, this season of Lent? I think it's a fair question. Uh, It took me a little while to maybe understand where it belongs. By the time we get to the end of the reading, we've heard about Moses lifting up the serpent on the pole and that Christ Jesus, the Son of Man, has to be lifted up in the same way. The giving of the Son of God from the Father out of love is not just a, a giving as like a friend or as somebody to stay with us for a time. It's a giving of him as an atonement for the sins of the world. So certainly that ties in with the end of Lent as we continue toward the cross. What might be here also, and I think we begin to see it shift in year A, is 
the idea that Lent has served not only as a time of spiritual warfare for all Christians, but also as a time of catechesis for those who are entering into the church. This is certainly the way it was in some of the earlier centuries in the church when those who would become Christians, usually culminating in baptism rather than, say, beginning with an infant baptism and then going on to learn in the faith, they would actually have a long period of time that ends with these last seven weeks of Lent, and so the instruction is leading toward it. With that, then, I think we we definitely see how this is leading us toward baptism, how everybody is meeting Christ Jesus, as Nick does, and learning what it means to be born again as well. You wanted to say something about entering Christ's life of faith through baptism. Go into a little more detail there. Sure. Uh, If we think of the Christian life as being with Christ Jesus, as following him, or, or to take that kind of enigmatic statement that we get in other years, take up your cross and follow me, deny yourself. This is kind of the essence of Christianity. That is what we're being prepared for if we're entering into the church for the first time. I think this is a tough idea, and it's something that's very important to the 20th century Roman Catholic Church, and it's of less importance maybe, or arguably less importance to the Lutheran Church. Since we have such a strong and robust theology of infant baptism, since we're not trying to necessarily make adults the model for entrance into Christianity, but we recognize that, as Jesus says, even the adults have to become like little children in order to enter into his kingdom. So not all of this ports to us all that well. But in any case, it certainly is true that this period of Lent, no matter what lectionary or what year we're in, is a time for us to be renovated in the faith, to return to the Lord again, to fast and to give alms and to to pray, not because we don't do that the other times of the year or because we aren't believers the rest of the year, but that we all need times to redouble our efforts, to come back to it, to put our flesh into discipline so that we can hear the word of God rightly and grow in our faith and in our love toward our neighbor as well. So here we see Nicodemus, who in some sense is seeking Christ Jesus. I think it'll be interesting to discuss how serious he is at this point in the gospel. Of course, we know the end of the story that he is present at the burial of Christ. It seems by then that he is clearly a follower of Christ Jesus. And so we're glad to see that. But here it's not so certain. And here he faces a lot of rebuke from Jesus and some hard words, while at the same time giving us John 3.16, passage that's dear to almost all Christians, which is the heart of our faith. So to see ourselves, so to speak, even though we're already members of the Christian church, sitting with Nicodemus, recalling how easy it is to fall away from this faith, how there are others who don't believe in Christ Jesus, who who need to be brought into this faith, and to see uh, in Nicodemus kind of as a prime example that we don't come to this by our own wisdom and strength and powers. In fact, Nicodemus is rebuked a little bit for being a teacher and not grasping what the Lord has, but it, which is fully revealed to us in holy baptism and given just as much to an infant as to an adult. The intro for this coming Sunday, Psalm 105, how does it read? And take us through some of your thoughts on that. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Glory be to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
My suspicion is this is intended to be a variation of sorts on the traditional intro for the second Sunday in Lent. In the one-year lectionary, it is, remember your mercies, O Lord, from Psalm 25, giving the name Reminiscere Sunday. We find this in the other years also, that there's some passage about remembering the Lord as kind of the primary introduction to the intro here. So I think it's a nod to that longstanding that this is Remember Sunday. Here we have a slightly different shift, though, because Psalm 105 is not simply his mercies, but a very specific mercy, his covenant. And this connection that God is making for himself a people that he's calling them. Certainly in the Old Testament, it's the sons of Abraham, it's the descendants of Jacob, etc., etc. It's the people of Israel. But now we know that the Israel of God are those who, like Abraham, have faith in Christ Jesus. That's very clear. And this Israel is by no means exclusive to those descended of the flesh from Abraham, but includes the Gentiles and all those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ by faith. They'll be saved, as uh, Peter preaches in Acts on Pentecost Sunday. So here in this intro, then we have a wonderful little introduction kind of to this theme that I mentioned of, of coming into the Lord's people. We're going to focus today especially on Abraham, And just kind of as we focused last week on Adam and Eve and the fall into sin and Christ as the new Adam, here we might say that Abraham is our focus in the Old Testament and Christ will be fulfilling the promises that were given to him. It does set us up for Nicodemus, the gospel reading that we're going to go to. When it talks about seeking the Lord in his strength, remembering the works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments that he uttered. Now, in the Old Testament, certainly that's chiefly the Exodus, releasing them from slavery and bondage in Egypt, destroying Pharaoh's army. But it's also now for us in Christ Jesus, everything that he's fulfilled. This is what we're kind of driving towards in Lent as we get closer and closer to the Passover of our Lord Jesus Christ at the Easter Vigil, where we hear the whole Old Testament story kind of reprised and understanding that Christ's resurrection and death is actually the fulfillment of that. So I think it does lead us up to Nicodemus, who comes acknowledging the miracles, but maybe a little uncertain about the real miracle that Christ has for us in baptism. The Collect, how does that read for this coming Sunday? Oh God, you see that of ourselves we have no strength. By your mighty power, defend us from all adversities that may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Traditionally, this collect was paired with the Reminiscera, the second Sunday in Lent reading of the Canaanite woman whose daughter is severely oppressed by a demon who has that little back and forth with Christ and finally grabs hold of him in the phrase that even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table and the Lord praises her faith. So we don't have nearly as much adversity today against the Christian church, maybe you have a little bit of adversity in Nicodemus against Jesus, although again, he, unlike his counterparts in the Jewish leadership, is willing to come to Jesus, is trying to seek him out in some sense. I think the best connection we have is probably that we of ourselves have no strength. We see that Nicodemus comes in some ways on his own terms and by his own reason, and the Lord rebukes that and baffles him with the simple earthly things of holy baptism. So that might be a point of connection. Certainly, as we think about the whole season of Lent, as we think about our disciplines as Christians in the time of Lent, 
and as we know our own struggles against the flesh, continuing from last Sunday. This quietly talks about that as we're drawn to look at Christ as the source of our strength and our comfort in the midst of all these afflictions. The Old Testament reading takes us to Genesis chapter 12, the first nine verses. Read that for us and then talk about it in terms of this week's service. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country at the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. In the Roman Catholic version of the three-year lectionary, it stops at verse 4 and doesn't give us the rest of the story of Abram or his time in Canaan. In some ways, that's maybe fine. We, we might not be all that interested in hearing about the land and the various places that we might not have a clear image of where they are. But at the same time, we would really miss in particular the promise that it is not only to Abraham or to families of the earth that will come after him, but specifically to his offspring that the land and the promise are given, which puts in mind again something we heard last week from our Old Testament in Genesis 3, that it is the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. So this is significant prophecy of Christ then to mention that offspring, this promise to Abraham. Here, we're focused much more on the land. Maybe that's why we take the time to learn about these places. But connected with that then is the one who blesses, the one in whom all are blessed, which is that offspring, Christ Jesus, that's being spoken of. This does set us up for our epistle, which will speak about Abraham too, although maybe a miss here, not the same promise of Abraham. If we want to just focus on the figure of Abraham, it's nice. We get a, a survey of kind of these two great promises. First, this faith that Abraham shows in hearing the Lord's command and, and following after it. But what we'll hear in the epistle is particularly the Lord's promise to Abraham that he believes concerning the offspring much more clearly, and that Abraham believes and it's counted to him as righteousness. And Paul will go on at length about that in our epistle. So maybe a miss, or on the other hand, if you just want to focus on Abraham now for a moment today, we can see that we're getting a better survey of all the promises that are kind of wrapped up in Abraham. And if we've discussed how in the three-year lecture, at least in year A, the kind of traditional spiritual warfare theme has been replaced by this journey, this entrance into the church for the catechumens, or even as we heard in the collect last week, this kind of wilderness passing through life and the wilderness and the desert and, and maybe even passing out of our 
natural, sinful, fallen state into the kingdom of God, then I think we can see how uh, this does build on that. It points us to the promised land, which for us as Christians is maybe provisionally the church, but finally eternal life in Christ Jesus, which we have now by his word already and by faith. This prophecy we want to definitely understand pointing to Christ Jesus himself. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the second Sunday in Lent. He wants to discuss a little about blessed and being blessed next. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Things above, that's the theme for this year's hymn sing at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The bridegroom soon will call us. Jerusalem the golden, wake awake for night is flying, and a whole bunch more. You don't want to miss it. Making the Case is Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. This fallen creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ's altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. Grace, faith, scripture, and Christ alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. Have you heard of the nuns? I'm not talking about Roman Catholic women who wear habits. Rather, I'm talking about those who mark none on religious preference surveys. It is the fastest growing religious group in the United States, and it's something we need to pay attention to. The March issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up this question regarding where they come from, what they believe, and how we can point them to Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of their sins. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The Schools Division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2, is a series of more than 50 little hymn studies, the history of of the hymns that you love to sing, all in one volume. Find out more about it at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and ask for Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the second Sunday in Lent, with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, before we go on to the psalm, you wanted to say something about blessing or being blessed. So uh, this promise is maybe difficult for us. Sometimes it's been interpreted 
understood to be specifically to the descendants of Abraham according to the flesh. I think as we look at their epistle, we'll be disabused of that misunderstanding. Certainly, we want to hear what Jesus says, kind of referring to this as well, that even if you give a couple of water to those who believe in me, you've done it to me as well. So in and around Abraham, there is blessing that goes all the way to his neighbors as well, to Lot, who's mentioned here already, kind of setting up all the stories that are to come in Genesis. And we see that even the people who live in the land from time to time are blessed simply by their interaction with Abraham. But what is much more important for us to see, especially in the light of everything that we have in Christ Jesus in the New Testament, that we no longer see these as dim shadows and figures connected solely to the flesh of Abraham, the person of Abraham and his descendants, but that we see it always as it truly is in Christ Jesus. He's always been the body who casts all the shadows in the Old Testament. And in Christ Jesus, we see he's the offspring in whom all nations are blessed. Therefore, this command that those who bless you, I will bless, etc., is to be understood chiefly in respect to Christ Jesus, those who recognize him as the one who comes from God, as the son of man, as the one in whom we all are saved, they have his blessing. Likewise, if we were to continue farther past today's gospel, we hear that even the words of Jesus are condemnation to those who refuse to receive them. Uh, therefore, we should hear his words and, and we should receive his gospel and trust in this promised seed. The psalm is 121. How does it read? Very definitely continuing our journey. This one is uh, a psalm referring to the temple. It's part of the Psalms of Ascent too. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now, we said that the psalm that is appointed in the three-year lectionary always is intended to comment on the Old Testament reading. This is very interesting because this psalm is well known to us probably in the baptismal rite. It's always quoted that last verse, the Lord preserve your, actually we kind of switch it around, you're coming in and you're going out from this time forth and forevermore, referring to holy baptism as an entrance into the church, as a recognition that the old sinful nature is being washed away and that now the name of Christ is being put on perhaps a child, perhaps an adult who is being baptized. And we're going to hear about baptism when we get to the gospel. But looking backwards to our Old Testament reading from Genesis 12, we see that the Lord protected Abram. He kind of gave him this wild idea that he should just leave his family and go to the place the Lord tells him. Well, those who, who trust the Lord's promises, as Abraham does, he believes him and he, he follows, should not be afraid that the Lord won't protect them. No, he's our keeper. He will see us safely through. So our focus here on Psalm 121 then maybe looking a little farther down the, the family line, so to speak, after Abraham, but still focused on the care of the Lord into which we are entrusted. So here we have the epistle from Romans chapter 4, and it ties directly into the Old Testament reading. It's the first eight verses of 4 and then some selected verses after that. How does it read? 
Yeah, I'll read it and then I'll talk maybe about that selection. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, though not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks about the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. We skip a bit to verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world and did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is quite a long section, even as we have it, and it could have been longer because they omitted part of it. What they omitted was a section talking about circumcision. And as I think many of our listeners will be aware in Romans and elsewhere in Paul, one, he's highly rhetorical in a way that isn't maybe immediately understood to us in our time. And if you uh, believe Second Peter, maybe not even in their time in some cases. But in particular, that he, one, jumps around, and that's definitely at play here in this section, but also that he plays on words with circumcision because his opponents are insisting that you must become a Jew. And the most dramatic example of that is you have to submit to the right of circumcision, even as a Gentile, before you can become a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's opposing. That's what we see upheld, frankly, Paul's teaching from the scriptures upheld in Acts chapter 15. And we skipped that part. I, it could be for a number of reasons. One, maybe we just don't want to bring in the matter of circumcision, which could take a while to explain, perhaps. Although, I, I mean, I think we should just note it's a very strong argument also concerning the relation of the ceremonies of the Old Testament and the law of Moses to the faith that we see Abraham have. Paul's argument is essentially circumcision came after the faith of Abraham and the counting of righteousness to him. Therefore, its purpose is to attest to the faith which justifies. It's not to attest to itself or say that works justify. And it would have been nice maybe to have uh, verse 12, which speaks about all of those who walk in the footsteps of faith that Abraham had. Uh, it'd be nice to maybe have that kind of footpath quote right after we heard about uh, the Lord not letting our foot be turned aside, uh, but keeping us as we make our journey. Nevertheless, we still have a similar statement in our text that we have about all those who share the faith of Abraham, the father of all of us. That means Gentiles and Jews together. I think that's especially probably a helpful focus as we look at Nicodemus and his struggle with what the Lord Jesus is teaching him and telling him. 
And you said Paul's argument is that faith comes first before anything else in Abraham's life. The point being here for the connection as we get closer to the gospel reading, where's the clear connection between this argument of Paul and what Jesus says to Nicodemus? It's certainly that faith in the promises of God and the promises of God rooted not in fleshly descendants, right? That It's not just those who are descended by genealogy, by mother and father and child from Abraham, but it's particularly those who share the faith of Abraham, just in the same way that it's not those who keep the commandments of the law that is associated with Abraham through Moses. It's not the doing of marvelous deeds, but it's the trusting of the promises of God, which are finally fulfilled in Christ Jesus, who is that offspring Jesus Christ, in whom all the families, as we heard in our Old Testament, all the rest of the world as well, all the other offspring, plural, of Abraham, will find their blessing. We will be looking at the gradual for this coming Sunday, the second Sunday in Lent, as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. It'll take us into a little bit of Hebrews 12. When defending a biblical doctrine or practice, have you ever been accused of not caring for the lost? I've written a column in the latest issues, etc. journal titled Playing the Mission Card. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Jeremy Lamont recounts his slow and sometimes painful path out of Mormonism to the Lutheran Confession. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. listeners are needed to vote for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has the right to vote through a pastoral and a lay voter, two voters per congregation or parish. Voter registration must be completed by Midnight Central on March 19th of 2023. Request to be a voter at your congregation for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Equipping the priesthood of all believers. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. I'm Pastor Todd Rappi. I serve a congregation here in Fayetteville, North Carolina, our Redeemer Lutheran Church, a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. All of the saints here gather around blood, water, and spirit as theologians of the cross every Sunday morning at 1030. We only welcome sinners. We certainly would welcome you. If you'd like to contact us through our website, you may do so at faylcms.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. 
We come again to this seasonal gradual that is Hebrews 12. Just remind us again what it says and what it teaches. Come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Less focus today maybe on the cross itself, but much focus on the faith that is mentioned here, right? The fact that Christ is the beginner and the ender of it, the author, the starter, the founder, and the perfecter, the bringing to full completion of this faith. I think in a way it fits very well with a psalm, which talks about the going out and the coming in, which we've often taken the other way as well, to recognize the Lord begins the journey and he brings it to its completion. Certainly we see that with Abraham in his the brief journey that we looked at in Genesis 12, but we see it also finally in Christ Jesus that he's brought all of the promises that were given to Abraham to their full completement in Christ Jesus, particularly through his death and his resurrection. Uh, and so then we also, trusting in that death and resurrection, know that we will be brought from death into his kingdom, into life, through holy baptism in particular, but then also finally into eternal life with him. What is the verse for this coming Sunday? The verse is a well-known one, I imagine, and that's John 3.16 from the end of our gospel reading. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's probably a lot we could say about this little verse, which is so well known. It's been called the gospel in a nutshell. Maybe the first thing I want to just admit is, I don't know if I talked about this passage enough as a kid. I think I always assumed it. And even as a pastor, I just assume that everybody knows this. I think so many pastors begin their conversation about by saying, well, everybody knows this passage. It's very possible that people don't know this passage anymore, especially as biblical literacy declines and as the practice of memorizing any verses of the Bible just starts to disappear. I should make sure that I am teaching this passage more and and probably a good reminder for our pastors too. They won't know it well unless we take the time to teach it. Same thing for parents and grandparents to pass it on to their children. It is a wonderful verse and it is a great summary to see that the giving of his only son, we could add some meat to those bones by talking about the giving into death and the raising from the dead of that son, Jesus Christ, but that the result of this is not death, but is eternal life for those who believe in him. Just a personal pet peeve with regard to John 3.16 is that it is often maybe just kind of mistranslated or to our modern ear, it turns into a mistranslation that we're not talking about the extent of God's love. We're really talking about the manner of God's love. Talk about that. Sure. It's the word so in our English translations. And it's not so much, but rather it's uh, like so. In this way, this is how you could almost put a colon there, right? God loved the world, colon. Here's how. He gave his only son. That's how. So that. In this way. That's how. What's the difference? Certainly the, the love of God surpasses. It is incredible. It is big. All of those things are, are not false. But what is being focused on here is the means, the way in which the Lord has loved us. And I think that's especially helpful now when the word love has kind of been watered down. And I mean, that is a, a word that you don't have to be a Christian to use anymore. 
But what is love? There are probably a whole genre of love songs devoted to that question, and they never talk about Jesus. And so often, the mark of love in our world is not considered to be any great action of sacrifice, but to be seen as just a, an expression of, a, of an emotion or of a feeling or of a sentiment that could just as easily be given in a card or anything else. Again, none of those expressions are wrong, but love biblically is rooted in action, particularly this action that sacrifices for the sake of another. And that's what we see dramatically in Christ Jesus, that he pays the penalty. He puts his own skin in the game in Jesus Christ. He loves us not from a distance just by sending a card or thinking warm thoughts or or sending a tweet from heaven, but he enters into our flesh. The Father gives what is treasured and prized in order to value us with that great price, to exchange his righteousness for our sin to do exactly what we heard in the epistle, that he justifies the ungodly and that he gives it as a gift. That's why we want to maintain that word promise and inheritance. The focus is not on earnings, but on gifts. And that's why I think gave, even though there are many other words that could be piled onto that word gave, but that's the one that remains there. And therefore, it's not wrong to say that Christ Jesus is a gift that is given to us. That brings us to our Gospel reading, John 3, the first 17 verses. Take us through it. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him." I love this passage so much. I think many do. It's often has been appointed as the gospel reading on Trinity Sunday. It's just outside of, I suppose, the institution of baptism, 
and maybe First Peter and definitely the account of Jesus' own baptism. This is one I think that we love to go to and, and see how the Spirit in baptism, in this rebirth of water and the Spirit, is so central to who we are as Christians. And in fact, even then we draw from this the conclusion that baptism is necessary for salvation. It certainly also fits well if you consider the season of Lent to be leading us to baptism. Baptism has long been a feature of that Easter vigil service, and that's because this time was considered preparatory for that. There's a way in which all of us, although we don't need to be baptized again since the Lord's rebirth, this second one is sufficient for all time. Yet we recall this baptism, that it is still in effect, that we still belong to him, that we are still those who are born and therefore are children of the Spirit. So we ought to remember our baptism as well. So here we're going to be instructed on these things with Nicodemus. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're talking about the gospel reading for this coming Sunday, according to the three-year lectionary, the second Sunday in Lent. And we'll continue that conversation next. Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with Parable of the Wedding Feast, Parable of the Great Banquet, Part 1 and Part 2, The Cost of Discipleship, and Lost Sheep and Coin. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Casting Christ's Net on the Internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com, and like them on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Luther Academy. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. Staying with the gospel reading here for a moment, Sean I find it interesting that early in his ministry, here comes Nicodemus saying to Jesus, we know you're a man sent from God. 
but Jesus' opponents really don't know what to do with him. We see evidence of this elsewhere to their conundrum, and they're always concerned about what other people will think. In our day, maybe we're just imagining that they're kind of insecure. I think it's more this, they recognize they're caught. So many of Jesus' arguments with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it's catching them to try and force them to a conclusion, a conclusion that they've already kind of entertained, but are just unwilling to believe. We see that especially in the Passion, according to John, I think. It is not out of ignorance that they crucify him. It's that they have believed him all too well. They just can't stand it. And so Nicodemus is maybe, the stakes aren't so high, the tensions and the heat isn't turned up yet. But we see already, they've figured out the conclusion. This thought has passed their mind. He must be from God. We can't deny that. The works speak for themselves. What we don't know is is how much from God he is, right? Is he a man sent from God? We heard that at the beginning of John's gospel. John the Baptist was one such man sent from God. But this one also seems to be different. Perhaps he is, in fact, of God, as we confess him to be, the son of the father of one substance with him, too. Nicodemus comes, you know, no, he says we, uh, but he's the only guy there. So I, I think that does always suggest to us that Nicodemus, and again, his name is mentioned, and then he's mentioned at the end of the gospel, too. It does suggest there's some sort of nascent faith here, or he, or he's hearing, he's listening. Contrary to maybe some other interpretations, like in uh, recent TV shows, I don't know if I see Nicodemus as really all the way there, fully on board and just kind of unwilling to jump over the cliff. I, I don't think he gets it. That certainly seems to be Jesus' point through this. He's not particularly complimentary. I find that in Jesus' first truly, truly amen statement, he kind of doesn't give any uh, acknowledgement of the, of the flattery that he just received. He just says, well, in fact, his word is pretty negative, right? You can't even see the kingdom of God unless uh, something else happens. And, uh, and it really just rattles. It seems to, to me to rattle Nicodemus. So this notion that Jesus talks more about how difficult it is to get into the kingdom of God than ways of actually getting into the kingdom of God. What is he saying about being born again, or some would say born from above? Yes, it's something entirely is going to have to change about us. I think we can see that in Abraham, that he does depart from his kinsmen in some way. Now, it seems if you read on, once Isaac is finding his wife, Rebecca, it sure seems like they start to believe in the word of God. Probably they're blessed with faith as well through believing what Abraham and his family are saying. But not at first. He's absolutely leaving this this pagan land and, and following a Lord that is not known yet. That's why it's significant. He built an altar and calls on the name of the Lord. That's a phrase we heard all through Genesis for the people who descend from Seth and Abel who, who are faithful, who believe in, in the Lord. So it's going to have to be even still in the New Testament as well. It's going to have to be a total change. It's it's not going to be that the sinful man is going to reform himself, is going to get a little better and a little better, maybe with some help of good reason or some rabbis, some teachers. No, it's going to have to be as dramatic as being born, which also is a remarkably passive event for the baby, at least. It's not a coming to faith through our reason. It's not a coming to faith through our efforts. It's not, as Paul's at pains to say, good works that earn their keep, but it is a gift. 
it's entirely passive. So the again is perhaps you know of a different character, but the above translation you mentioned I think is very helpful because this is the kingdom of God. The people who are born in this kingdom are sons of God. They're not sons of this world, not sons of works, not sons of reason, not sons of that make themselves. He ends with that very clear gospel proclamation in 16 and 17 that especially in this season of Lent, it kind of sets the stage for the good news of Christ's, well, because he says he gave his only son. He doesn't say, I'm going to the cross, but it seems strongly implied that there's going to be judgment at the cross and that that judgment will fall upon his only son. Yes, I mean, this is so difficult for me not to think of the rest of the Bible. I'm in favor of doing that when we read the Bible to bring in all of the other passages that connect with this. It is is remarkable that he says he doesn't send his son to condemn the world. That would make great sense. I would think a rabbi of the Pharisees who probably looks around and says, I'm struggling to keep this law and I don't see a lot of other people doing it. And on top of that, our whole people is oppressed by the Roman Empire. They're utter pagans with no hope. It does not seem like commending the world it would be on God's mind, but rather a condemnation of the world, or at least of our enemies, but maybe of us too, would be well in order. That's not what God sends his son to do. He sends this son so that the world would be saved. And it's hard not to see that it comes through the condemnation of that son. To bring up the serpent in the wilderness is an incredible story. It's surprising that we don't hear that, right? And there is an image not of blessedness, really, but an image of the thing that has destroyed them. It's the thing that has bitten them that is now lifted up in their place, as it were, to take away, to suck the venom, so to speak, right out of their wounds. Well, this is what Christ is doing by bearing the sins of the world, as we see in the rest of this gospel and all over the scriptures. Do you think that Nicodemus, he certainly understood the allusion to Moses and the serpent, but do you think he made the connection that Jesus is making there. We see it so clearly in retrospect through the lens of the cross, but do you think that Nicodemus understood what it meant to for the Son of Man to be lifted up? Oh, it probably doesn't matter what I think. I, I don't think he's got it. I think he goes away frustrated here a little bit, and, and then I, I think we have a wonderful mention of him by John's Gospel at the end. It is okay to have good stories every once in a while, isn't it? I think Nicodemus is one of those cases. John's gospel, though, does bring this up more and more. I think to have it grow and be appreciated more and more by us who are reading and and are believing in this gospel, right? So by the time we get to chapter 12, we'll hear about those Greeks who wish to see Jesus. And there Jesus I mean, in similar fashion to this, seems like he truly, truly, I say to you something totally unrelated, but by then it is all coming together quite well that, no, see to it that you believe this. If you want to see Jesus, look at the cross, look where the father is lifting him up. That's where he'll be glorified. That's where he'll be doing his work for our benefit. We're going to see this much more clearly if we were to just read through John's gospel, which would be a fine Lenten discipline. Here, the focus is maybe a little less on, he's trying to draw a very dim statement of Nicodemus out because he just comes saying, you do, I like the works you do. I like these signs. They're miracles we can't really explain away. 
but Jesus then brings his attention to a miracle that doesn't seem to be amazing to Nicodemus, which is baptism. That then is the real miracle, the work of the Spirit, which we hear in the Word of God, but we don't have any power over, right? That's the real miracle of God. All of these things are not happening up in heaven. They're happening here on earth. So here's this wise, genius, heavenly teacher, even is willing to recognize Jesus as a fellow rabbi, maybe, but the Lord wants him to see, no, what's going on on earth is what ought to receive our attention. Obviously, that means me, focus on Jesus, but it also means to focus on his words and his promises. And now we have this hint, no surprise, closely connected to the gifts of his promises, which is the power of that promise, his death and his resurrection, the lifting up of the Son of Man, to which we all ought to fix our eyes and look. Does the preacher need to clear away a lot of the misconception that has grown up around the term born again for their listeners? Sure. It was just this year, there was another uh, revival I saw where the spirit, I guess, uh, fell on people. I find this passage to be very clear, but maybe it's not to some if they've been taught otherwise. Certainly this born of again and born of above, I think we ought to just take both of those synonyms and understand them together. It'll be a of a new character than the original birth. And even Jesus explains that, but it will be a, a birth from above, bring us into as children of the heavenly father. And this is a birth of water and the spirit. And this wouldn't be two different things, but this would be the same thing. It's, it's, it's brought together. This is holy baptism where the word of God is at work and that's where the spirit is at work. I think that is an observation it's at the heart of our Lutheran confession that the Holy Spirit works by means. He doesn't just haunt people. So he is at work in particular in the word of God. And we can say by extension that the sacraments, those tangible gifts and signs of his grace, they always have the word intimately involved with them. Baptism is said right here, the water and the spirit or with the washing of water and his word as Ephesians says that we see that the Spirit is at work in that. So that would lead us to say when he's talking about the Spirit blowing around, I mean, we do hear it sound. We do hear the Word of God. We hear it not only in the Scriptures as they're read. We hear it not only maybe in our voices from time to time, sharing the Gospel with others, but I think this is the optimal thing. We hear it pop up in the words and the confessions of those who believe in Jesus Christ. If you were to welcome a member into your church through the, the usually you'd use a rite of reception of new members. And in that rite, it's very similar to confirmation and baptism alike, all the questions that we ask, to try and ask, what is it you believe? Are we hearing an amen, a truly, truly, to what our Lord Jesus has said? And in all those questions, maybe in a formal way, also, as we get to hear whenever we talk with another Christian, our hearts rejoice to hear the word of God echoed in their voice as well. We hear and recognize the spirit at work, not by the excitement of a person, they may be excited as well, but by what they say, what they believe, the confession of their mouth that matches the faith of their heart. And that we're, we don't have no control over. We don't uh, know where that comes from or goes. Boy, I'd like to. I'd like to be in charge of a lot of things, but the Lord knows far better. Instead, I'm given to marvel at that, to believe that, to say amen to that myself. So this is the, at the same time, simplicity and deep richness of the word of God and of our faith, which Nicodemus has to learn. He has to become maybe a little simpler, and we also probably from time to time do as well. 
What would you say of the hymn of the day for this coming Sunday, Lord, Thee I Love With All My Heart? We usually think of this hymn as a funeral hymn because of the last stanza. It's fantastic. But I love the first two stanzas also, which are absolutely about faith. They're quoting Psalm 73, a faith in the midst of sorrows, a faith in the midst of life and its good things and bad things as well, a faith that clings to Jesus Christ, as our gradual says, and follows after him. And especially in the second stanza, it runs through all sorts of uh, matters of faith and life. So prayer against false doctrine, strength to bear our crosses, as well as to recognize the bounty of the richness of the preservation God has given us in Christ. So in that regard, it does fit well with kind of this journey through life, as well as through the season of Lent, ending it, of course, as it does in this hymn with the resurrection. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you. You're welcome. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., on this Monday, February the 27th, we're going to be talking about the God of the Spiritual Nuns, the Religiously Unaffiliated, with Pastor Peter Burfine, author of the book Gnostic America, and Dr. Adam Kuntz will join us to discuss parental sacrifice and Christian education. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, IssuesETC.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.